Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the joy that you have given us freely of your own grace because of the work of Christ. And we pray that we would continue to seek after your joy, your um, the gift that you give us of thankfulness for all that you provided, the freedom that we have in Christ, the liberty that we have in our relationships with each other. I pray that you would continue to grow us and knit us into a body that is wholly focused and centered around loving you and loving each other, and that we would be about um, displaying that for the world around us. We pray that as we study this next section of Leviticus, that you would do in our hearts what only you can do, which is to transform them little by little, day by day, precept upon precept into the image of Jesus. We thank you for the constant work that you do, your faithfulness to us in moving our hearts forward, even sometimes when we are unfaithful. In spite of our fickleness, you are constant, and we thank you for it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are, what are the odds, uh, in Leviticus. We're in Leviticus 25. And uh, in, in, we've seen throughout our experience um, in, in, the, in this holiness code, this whole thing, um, the, um, the, the motif, really, of the holiness of Israel as God's chosen people displayed for the, the nations around them. They've been set free. And they've been set apart to service. So we've seen that. And we're coming up on the last three chapters of Leviticus. Yay, almost there. Last three. The promised land is coming. We're in the last three chapters of Leviticus. Um, let's, let's read chapter uh, 25, uh, 1 through 7 here real quick. Um, the Lord spoke to Moses... On Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired servant and the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land, all its yield shall be for food. And we'll stop there at verse 7. All right. Where are these laws given? Where does it tell us? Mount How, Sinai. They're given in Mount Sinai. Now, for the, for the vast majority of Leviticus, chapters 1 through se, uh, 24... It's given, we're given that it's, that it's relayed to Moses in the tent of meeting. These chapters, these last three, are given while they're still at Sinai. <clears throat> what does that tell you? How are they receiving these? Before or after the rest of Leviticus? Probably before. Before, and yet it's here at the end, these last three chapters. Why would he place this, chronologically, it seems to go, it would seem like it would be first, but, I don't know, literal, liturgically, what was the word you used there? I don't know. Well, maybe logically. Well, what's the logic then? Why would he put them here at the end? What do you think? Why does he start here? It's based on when they come into the land. Again, these are, these are laws, the next three chapters that we're going to see. There are laws that apply them really only when they get to the land. 
So implicit in these laws is the promise, you will get there. Really? Okay. Um, so it's been a tough week, is that what you're... Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, we are. I'm just glad you're here. <laughs> okay, moving on here. Um, the, what is it also uh, about this section that, that strikes you, this first section? Why is, he, why is he going here? Why would he begin the end here? The Sabbath year of the land. What do you think? Okay, so they're going to be they're going to be settled in at the time that this would be used, and it does provide a nice transition to numbers because they're going to be traveling with the idea of actually getting there. And now it goes haywire, but that's the goal is getting there. They'll be settled in, but 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 what else do you think is going on here? Question: Is, is this as if they started their own fields? Because I remember we did look at. When they come into the land, they had to let the land rest for, what, two years? Three years? What, I have to look you know, back. I can't remember. Um, you know what I'm talking about, though? When, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't just eat the fruit of the other... Other fields were there that other people right. had prepared, and they were to let it land. Is this talking about their own fields that they started from scratch? I mean... I would assume that whenever it began, that's when they started counting the seven years right. for the okay. Sabbath year. So... Whether it's fields that they do from scratch or right. fields that are there, the whole land all over the place was oh, to, I remain, see. I see. to remain to uh, remain unused. Um, do you remember how uh, the discussion that we had in Exodus at the very end, 20 through 31 was all law. So we've been in law for a while. 20 through 31 was all law. And it ended with the covenant sign of the Sabbath in chapter 31. Remember? You may not remember. That happened in Exodus. Um, he does the same thing here. At the end of the discussion of the covenant laws in Leviticus, which are 1 through 24, he ends or focuses on the Sabbath year. And then we'll see in the next section in this chapter, 8 through 55, and we're only going to go to 22 today, but 8 through 55, is the super Sabbath. The, the seven of seven years, seven times seven years, and the 50th year is the year of Jubilee. So it's kind of a super Sabbath idea. So each of the three chapters that we see at the end here deal with issues that concern how Israel must live in the promised land. And they're kind of arranged in, in what the smart folks call a chiasm. We've talked about this before. Chapter 25 is dealing with laws of redemption. We see it here with the land of, uh, Sabbath and then also the year of Jubilee. This is a redemption idea. We'll see it more in Jubilee here in a second. And then it goes in chapter 26, it talks about the blessings of obedience in the land, and the curses for disobedience in the land. So there's a call to obedience there. And then chapter 27 ends again with this laws of redemption, some, some stuff on vows and those kinds of things, but it's dealing with redemption. So in the middle is obey, right? Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience, and in the midst of that is redemption, or on either side of that is redemption. Uh, and ending this way seems to draw the reader into this hunger for the fulfilled promise of the land. There's a promise coming. It's going to happen. Here's what, and this is the way this whole section of this holiness, holiness, you know, this weight of law and regulation, it ends with the promise of you're going to be in the land that I've promised to Abraham. And this, that's the idea there. Um, all right, this law that we see in verses 1 through 7 has already been given, uh, but it's specifically described, and that's specifically, not specifically, specifically described, uh, saw something this week, anyway, um, that, that, uh, that it's a, called a Sabbath. Rather than a year of rest, which we saw in Exodus, it's specifically termed Sabbath. Why would you have a Sabbath for the land? I mean, we kind of talked about Sabbath rest for people, for God's people, but why for the land? Yeah. I was thinking about that, and I think like, in Genesis chapter 3, the thorns and the thistles came out, and the, the earth actually groans 
because of the sin of man. So the earth needs a break too. Yeah. I mean, uh, in Revelation, I think it says uh, this might not be literal, but it says that uh, it's very literary. You have a a, a fruit bearing season once a month. Right. It's like the land. Revelation. The the land doesn't need to rest in Revelation, but it does now because of the sin. And so, not only do the people need it, but also the land needs it, and it's maybe this reminds the people of their effective sin, how their effective sin spreads further than themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's some of that. I mean, th- certainly the land groans. We see that in, in, in um, almost said Revelation 8, it's Romans 8. Um, we see that idea that because of the curse, the land groans under the weight of, of sin. Plus, typical farming technique is you don't let it rest. Although you do rotate, I mean, some of the practices we do now are rotating fields and those kinds of things to give a break. But that wasn't then. They would use it constantly. What happens if you don't? Oh, go, no, go ahead. The, if, if, if you're to give the land a rest, that means you're not doing work as well. Right. So the other benefit to that is the guys that do the hard labor in the field, the poor... It talks about the sojourner here, which is not just native Israelites. It's the sojourner, the alien, resident alien. They're also given a rest. A mandated, decreed from on high, rest for a year. A year. Think about that. And they get free food. Right? From the ground. Uh, the food is there. They have to go and, and you know, glean it, but it's not done in a, in a systematic, formal, you know, harvested way. Yeah, it's, you shall not reap, but then it says the Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you. Right. It's more like, almost like a daily go out and pick what you need for the day. And, and wherever and whenever, except for, of course, the Sabbath. Wherever and whenever, you can go on your neighbor's land. It's open to everyone to go glean everywhere, whatever naturally grows up. One of the things that he says, though, is don't, don't glean from, from I, we'd call them uh, volunteers. Uh, we, in our garden, we have volunteer tomatoes, which is great because it means we don't have to buy as many. And, and so they'll come up, they'll produce fruit, and, and but some would use that as an opportunity. Well, if I just throw some seed here, maybe it'll grow up during you know, the Sabbath year, and I can... He said, don't do that. You're, you're still cultivating the land. But whatever naturally grows up, whatever is just part of the, the produce of the land, that you can glean. And everybody can do it. And they're taking a year off from work with food available to let the land rest. What does that say, number one, to the Israelites, and number two, to the nations around them? First, what does it say to the Israelites? Who is God? The provider, very gracious gracious. to the workers, very gracious to the landowner. You got to trust him as provider, right? Because you're not, you're. What if nothing grows? So this is a call to trusting in the God who creates and provides. Is he the God of just people? No, he created heaven and earth. He's not just concerned with people, although that's his most important concern from this created order, but he is redeeming the whole universe. He loves all his creation. And so he he gives the land that he created and loves a rest from toil. This, This... this would be like giving up pay every seven years for the landowners. Any, anybody game for that one? The little pay we have, I don't want to give, you know. Still, there, there is a, a massive act of faith here to do this. And in fact, this becomes neglected later on in Israel's history. And it's one of the reasons that God, through the prophets, tells them the land is spitting you out because you have, so that I will give it a rest because you won't. 
Um, all right. What does it say that he gives rest to the sojourner as well? That they're able to get the food. They're on the welfare system for that for that year. He's not just God of Israel, right? That's right. And he loves the alien as much as, well, like he loves Israel. And what does that say to the nations around them? The God of the Hebrews is a God who grants rest within the borders of this country. Right? That What a testimony. He doesn't drive us like Baal, Baal, whatever, Baal. I don't know, some people get technical with that. Baal, southern, <laughs> southern uh, Canaan. Um, he doesn't drive us like a slave master to work and whip and whatever we got to do to ourselves to make him happy. He doesn't drive us like, like uh, Ra of Egypt did us. Because isn't that what's coming out here? Is that you have... Of people who were enslaved for 400 years under the, the God of Egypt, Pharaoh, the, the supposed God. And here is a, their God who redeemed them, who, who rescued them out of that constant, non-restful existence to bring them to a land where He mandates rest. That's part of the culture. That's part of the warp and woof of Israelite society is Sabbath. Weekly, Every seven years, every 50th year, it really gets crazy. There's a God who gives rest to all within the borders of Israel, even the animals. Even Bessie the cow gets a break once he, one, you know, every seven years. God's care is as broad as creation itself. They are to demonstrate this by showing the same care. All right, now it gets, it gets really crazy. Look at verse 8. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. In case you were wondering... Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property, and if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor... You shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the Jubilee, and he shall sell to you according to the number of, ye of years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price, and if the years are few, you shall reduce the price, for it is the number of, of the crops that he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. We'll stop there for now. All right. How many? Huh? Jubilee. Oh, man. It's like a writing of wrongs between, you know, if somebody's price increases too much, it needs to be reset. Right, right. If too little, it needs to be reset. What does this tell you? Well, well let's, let's start with the, the, the beginning here. What, what do we have? What do we have here linguistically with the sevens? What's up with the sevens? We say holy, and then we say holy, holy, right? There's the holy place. And there's the Holy of Holies, which is just Holy, Holy twice in Hebrew, and, they, and it, it, it gins up the importance of it. What do you have here with seven, and then seven weeks of seven times, and seven stuff? And what, why? Why are we saying seven so many times? What does that tell you? 
significance of it. It's very significant. In what way? What does seven mean? What does seven have a completion, wholeness? And here we have a year that is most sacred and complete and sufficient, and things have come to their fullness every 50th year, right? Or 49 leading into the 50th year. So, Kevin, clarifying question. This, the 49th year is the Sabbath year for that seven years, so they would not plow the field, they just collect for that year. And then the immediate year after that as well, which would be the 50th year, they rest and reset? That's right. That's right. So it's two years. It you have say you shouldn't plant and stuff, doesn't it? It just says you shall not reap from what grows up by itself. It's another Sabbath year. Okay. I mean, it, it is considered to be... So it's double. The 50th year shall be jubilee for you. In it, you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. So it's the same kind of idea as the Sabbath year. So you've got two years in a row. In effect, three, because it takes a while for crops to grow. As we mentioned last week, it's not like Minecraft where it does it like real quick. It takes a while for those things to grow. And so you have, in effect, a three-year window here of, I'm not earning, I'm not receiving an income. Where does that leave an Israelite? Heavy savings. Heavy savings. Fully reliant on God, His provision for them. In fact, He promises that, doesn't He? I mean, to a lesser extent, it probably causes them to work harder in those six years. I would, maybe. Yeah. But I'm still trusting God. But sure. I'm still going to work hard. Step back a minute. We'll get to that in a second, but you're right. I would think that would be the case. The concept of Sabbath here, we see, again, is a foundational structure to the society. This is, again, embedded in the very economy. You can't value land without thinking through your jubilee value, right? It's embedded in the culture. It's embedded um, in, in the economy. And in fact, biblically, the concept of Sabbath is foundational to the structure and operation of the universe. Everything rotates around. Six days he worked, and on the seventh day he rested. Uh, atheistic cultures, we've talked about this before, have tried to get away from that system, and it has failed miserably. I'm thinking communist Russia in particular. Um, the land needs a Sabbath rest in much the same way as, as man. Uh, we saw that before. And so here we see in Jubilee a two-year rest for the land, three-year uh, two, but they plan on that, that 51st year. Um, so, what do they celebrate? What happens here? What are they celebrating? What's the core issue in Jubilee? What happens? Like if you were a hired servant, basically, if you had sold yourself into slavery to pay off a debt. If you're an indentured servant. Jubilee, you're free. You're free. You're free. And whatever land had been sold for crops is again free to go back to its original owner. Right? How do they? How do they get land in Israel? What What happened? Through their clans, through their the, the patriarchal system, land was assigned to families and clans. Right? They drew law. I mean, this whole thing. We'll see this as we get to to. Um, no, I think we get to. Uh, I, I think it's actually in in, uh, in in Joshua. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it's in Joshua, um, because they eventually break off and I say, okay, you go conquer this part of your land. You go conquer. Them. They don't do it, but they but they that was the goal. Um, so it's through inheritance, and they're celebrating as indentured servants. As indentured land, what are they celebrating? Liberty. Liberty. About proclaiming liberty. Liberty. And in fact, that, that word here uh, in the Hebrew means to fro flee, uh, fro, flow. <laughs> flow. Unlike my language today, flow freely. It's a word of motion. To run freely would be another way to say it. 
And in other cultures and surrounding cultures, uh, you see the same word being used, when it, especially in Akkadian uh, documents. It's used to, to talk about how a king, out of his either political necessity or just whim, would grant freedom to slaves or to certain sections of the, of the populace, I guess, to, to keep peace or whatever. But that's at the whim of a ruler. What is this? This is God, the whim of God? The hand of God? The hand of God? Is this, is this, uh, we don't know if we're going to get this or not, depending on what kind of mood he's in. It's written into the, into the very law and structure of how we do money in Israel. God has purposed to allow a reset on debt, on social status, on possession of your land and a means of making a living for yourself and not for someone else. It's a reset. It's a do-over. Um, the term jubilee is, is related to a word that means ram or ram's horn. So the smart folks think that that's the type of horn that was used, just so you know, it was, it was the thing you can buy at Lifeway. All right. Uh, what day does this begin? What day does this begin? The day of How interesting. On the day that God set aside to restore the relationship in whole between God and man, the vertical relationship, every 50th year, the year of Jubilee, He restores the vertical relationship. Right? He restores, um, he restores land to families. He restores people to their clan, to their extended family. Again, they get to go back to where they're from. It's a complete reset. It's a picture of Eden. They get to go back to the way it began. and All things begin again. All debts are over. It's new. Um, land possession. At times... Indigent Hebrews would sell their land to pay off debts, but the land is returned to the owner in the year of Jubilee. Now, what were they selling? Were they actually selling the land itself? What were they selling? The crops, the ability to get produce off of the land. In effect, God owned the land. It wasn't anybody's land. He granted them the right to use it, and He determines the terms by which it is used. And so what they were selling was the produce. You see this today. People buy property. They value the harvest of, of uh, lumber on it or, you know, they'll... Mineral rights. Min well, not so much anymore. But, but yes, you see that whole idea uh, a little bit today. But they're selling uh, the ability to glean crops off the land. Uh, they're also free... There's liberty proclaimed, a restoration of the way things should be with regard to slavery. And we'll talk more about the slavery in the Bible next week because it really deals with it in a little bit more detail in the, in, the, in the following, in the rest of the chapter. But people would often sell themselves into indentured servanthood as well. But in the Jubilee, the people are released and are returned home as, uh, as free people. What does the year of Jubilee require the people to do as far as work? We see the same stuff, the same idea of Sabbath. Here, same kind of thing. So as far as the people go, uh, this liberty would apply to any sojourners who would also... Yeah. I believe it would. I believe it would. Uh, does it say that? I think it says that. Pull up my thing here. It says throughout... The land to all that's inhabited. Right. Yeah. I look through here. Yeah, I think that would that that would apply to, to everyone, including including the the resident alien worker. We talked about how uh, there's two straight years of no labor, and that uh, a Sabbath year takes faith. Jubilee takes even more faith. Right. Um, 
And in effect, you have three years without produce because it takes a while for things to grow after you plant them. What, what practical effect does this have on the sale of land? How is it to be valued? And, and we see, again, it's valued more if there are more years in Jubilee. It's valued less if there are fewer years left to Jubilee. What do you negotiate then? Is this government-regulated sale of land? I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you negotiate? A management contract. How, I guess you'd value, really, how well the land is produced, right? Is that is that, mm-hmm. from an economic standpoint, from a businessman standpoint, you'd have to figure out, okay, this is the history of what it's produced. Let's value it based on, we anticipate, 10 more years till Jubilee, so we'll value it at this. But what is it calling for? In commerce, the buying and selling of crops, what's it calling for? Honesty. What are the odds? Don't impress one another. Right. If a guy is hard up and needs some quick cash. There's a year to your Jubilee versus 50 years or 49 years to Jubilee. You're not going to sell it for the same amount. You're not going to sell it for the same amount. So that's a buyer protection well, for people. That, in a correct way that, that doesn't shortchange anybody. So a seller see. protection. Don't we also see in other places talks about, you know, measuring stuff, make sure it's right. Right, you know, kind right. Of, kind of the same idea. Same, make sure you're, you're using proper balances and all of that. Right. So if you're a seller and you're really hard up for money and a, and a thrifty uh, businessman who owns most of the county anyway comes in and wants to buy your stuff, how does he, can he... Can he get pennies on the dollar for for his land, according to this statute? No. He has to rightly value it. You can't cheat somebody because they're desperate. That's that's the point. You may haggle over what is the land actually producing. If the guy is in a bad strait because he hasn't worked the land, then obviously that devalues what the history of it produces. But it's a call to be fair on both sides why what's the basis for fairness in business god is because god, yeah. god is fair because well, he brought them out of israel you, know, you were once right. you were once a stranger in the land and now i've given it all to you fear me right isn't that how he isn't that how he terms it fear me i'm the lord your god um all right He's at the core of every sale. Uh, God is holy, and He expects His people to deal with integrity in economic matters. Some have made an issue out of none of the historical texts having a reference to this jubilee being celebrated. It was never done, and so there was always a longing for jubilee, but people were in perpetual... Well, there's never, as far as I can recall, a historical text that, that records them celebrating the Day of Atonement either. So I don't know that we make an argument uh, from silence that Jubilee was never celebrated. But there is some indication that these things, again, later on in Israel's history, were forgotten, neglected, and the reason that they were exiled. Some of, some of the reasons that they were exiled. Um, all right. It led to the oppression of the poor when this stuff was ignored. Uh, but, but it doesn't, again, it doesn't speak to, their, to the practice of earlier times. All right, look at verses 18 through 22. 18 through 22. Therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them. And then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year, when its crop arrives. Why would he need to emphasize obedience here? Because it's Israel. Because it's Israel. Because, it, well, is just Israel? <laughs> 
and the sojourners and its people. Well, yeah, that's the, the history. The history there shows that they are just like you and me, right? It's easy to panic and... It's hard to trust. It's hard to trust. If I'm not working, I'm not eating, right? If I'm not actively pursuing gain, I lose. And yet he commands rest. If this was a test of faith. Would he provide or not? And yet he promises, doesn't he? He promises here, the sixth year, I'll bless you. I will make it so that you have left over. And we see uh, when Israel enters Canaan, they begin this massive project of storage, granaries, and all this whole system of stuff. When I was reading through this, and, and, and it reminded me of something previously. Does it bring, to, I'll just ask you, does it bring, yes, doesn't it? It's in the DNA for them to store food. I mean, this is the way that the, God, again, is having a forced famine for a year or two years, depending on where it lands, where they have to trust Him again in His provision that He will provide the sixth year, and they'll be able to sustain one or two years, depending on where it falls, after that. Also, I don't know what kind of stuff they were growing, but if it's olives and grapes and stuff like that, those things don't last three years. Right. So it's interesting that he says you'll still be eating it you know, after three years, it's... I took it as a perennial, that it's going to come back kind of on its own, and you'll be able to eat from the same plant that you planted the previous year. That, that, that that's because it almost sounds like the sixth year, that there will be a produce of crop sufficient for three years. So does mm -hmm. that mean that that's not all being collected in the sixth year, but whatever grows the sixth year... Will continue to come up I think itself. a lot of the grain and stuff that they were doing would last probably, I mean, I saw, last yeah, I saw some of the guys say it would last several years. So that, that would be sufficient. But I agree with you, the, the olives and the grapes and stuff, how's that going to go? I guess you do preserves. And then, and then pricking the wild. It says reap in the second and third year. Which it means it's still on the vine. It says you can't reap. Yeah, it has to be stuff that's naturally grown, not cultivated. But it does say you can't well, you eat can the pick food. It. Yeah. yeah, you just can't formally and right. systematically I deplete guess the, the plant. Is reaping, you've got lots of workers out there right. cleaning out the fields at the same time. Right. Versus Whereas just going out. More like gathering, right. gathering your food. Okay. Sorry. What does he promise for their obedience? What does he promise? Safety. You'll dwell in the land how? Securely. Securely, in safety. Now, generally, when we think of securely, we think of foreign invasion, right? Um, the, the Latin Vulgate actually translates this as uh, without fear. Whatever you want to do with that. It translates it without fear. Um, not just from foreign invasion, but fear of what? Not having anything to eat. Not having anything to eat. I mean, he answers a question, right? He, he, he knows what's on their head. How are we going to eat in these years? I'm going to bless you. So there's this without fear of want. There's this without fear of, he ain't working his field. Look at those Israelites. They're a bunch of... And it's a without fear of invasion. Hey, they haven't eaten in two years. Let's go get them, you know, whatever. It's... It's this constant promise of peace. He promises that they will dwell in the land securely, not only free from threat of invasion, but free from fear of want. He says, eat your, you will eat your fill. Your fill. That is um, an idea of full satisfaction. He promises peace through obedience when the obedience seems counterintuitive. How are you going to survive not sowing, reaping, harvesting systematically for two years? That don't make sense. And yet, that's what He promises. Trust Him. Trust me, your provider, your, your, your God and your King. All right. Kevin? Yes, sir. 
kind of a differing perspective, but you think about something like grain that does last several years. If they, let's say that there's not enough in the seventh year for them to actually live, they need to be saving about 15% each year previous, and they'll have to build up 15, 30%, 45, and so on until they get to that seventh year so that so they can make it through the year. In other words, they need to be doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is saving and thinking ahead and planning and trusting for the six years before the seventh year. It's not like they just trust him and, and obey and have faith that seventh year, like they just you know, live free and eat all their savings and whatever, and then get to the seventh year and then God provides. They, if they were to save in the silos and, and everything, an extra 15%. So you're saying it's not a let go, let God kind of situation? That they're actually supposed to use wisdom yes. and discernment and how they prepare yes. and then trust God for those two years that He's given them the wisdom and discernment to prepare? I don't know. That just sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? That doesn't, that doesn't sound like... The TV tells me differently. What? It does say verse 21. It does say, I'll give, I'll give you blessings in the sixth year for three years. Yeah. So, I think, like I said earlier, we do work hard, but I don't think there has to be that 15% every year. I've got to do this, blah, 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 blah. Six, six year, he gives it to him. Does he not? That's what it says. The means by which he does it, maybe it's through their industry in the first six years there. Maybe it's if we have hard times, what are we going to be able to do this? If we weren't able to save our 15%, yeah. give or take. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't going to do the math specifically because they're on the lunar calendar and it just throws the whole math off. But, but if they're not able to do that, say we have a couple of bad years, some droughts and things, and trees fall down out of nowhere in your, in your yard. They're just crazy stuff going on. Kills a goat. Almost. Um, if that happens, he still promises to bless in the six. So yes, I think it's well, it's not it's it's yeah. a both and. It's not it's not a. When they when they gathered the manna, when I went out, no one gathered too much or too little. They had enough to sustain themselves. Right, right. And and that was in a specific time in the wilderness because that's all they they weren't planning in the wilderness. Yeah. They had to rely. That was completely relying yeah. on God. And here, this feels like we're working. And we're doing something for ourselves, but who makes it to grow anyway? But it says a little bit of his foreshadowing, because on the, on the, on the um, day before the Sabbath, he provided twice as much. Yeah, that's true. You shouldn't gather on the Sabbath or else it'll go bad. That's true. Gather on the Sabbath, so he gave them extra manna to provide mm -hmm. for that. Absolutely. Similar to the sixth year, giving them the extra produce. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Anything else on this? I, I think those are all good thoughts. I want to move on, though. And I'd like to move on to this. Turn to Luke 4. Luke 4, verse 16. And he, who's he? Always a good answer in Sunday school. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he returned to his people, to his clan. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Built into the fabric of biblical Christianity is jubilee. Christ is our jubilee. The shadow of this year of the Lord is fulfilled in Him. And you see it throughout the New Testament, this idea. 
Ephesians 4, 8. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Romans 7, 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which, has, which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. In 2 Corinthians 6, 2 it says, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Once in a generation, a family got a chance for a second start. Whatever errors through foolishness, whatever problems through circumstances put them in dire straits, whether through indentured servanthood or through um, selling of the produce of their land, the rights to that produce, they got a fresh start. Every year of Jubilee, once in a generation, how sad if they screwed it up in the 49th, the year right out, the 51st year, right? How sad if we're free, let's jump into nonsense again. How awful to squander that opportunity by going again into debt and slavery. Galatians 4.9 says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? Even though it may have been squandered in Israel for another 49 years, built into the culture was a hope for the next generation to try again. Every 50th year. Israel, if they honored this law, was a land of continued hope for those who became poor through their own foolishness or through the circumstances of life. Even more, the church should be a culture of hope to those who have squandered what God has given. Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's easy, isn't it? He's made us free from the bondage of sin. He's canceled the debt, set it aside, nailing it to the cross, Paul says. Yet so often we return to a life of slavery. We fear the scorn of man. We fear not experiencing what we think is freedom in this world. It's a con. Like a slick politician, sin feeds us what we want to hear. And so we are left with two impossible options. (laughs) Embracing the words of the serpent's tongue. Yeah, this won't be so bad. Or face a worse fate of being left out, of not being satisfied, of missing out on our best life now. It's a con. It's a lie. Choose neither. Fear the Lord. He will satisfy you. Jubilee was a time of wholly relying upon Him and not their own industry. The promise was peace in the land. How much more should we rely upon Him for peace in the heart? John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I am becoming more and more convinced that the idea of peace in the Bible is not one of some kind of Zen moment. It's order. It's order through following the commands that God has given on how we're, how we're created, how we're to operate. Because of what He's done, how He's created us, living the way He has called us to live, there's not chaos. And when there's chaos all around us, we're not in chaos. Because we trust Him, we're being faithful, we're trying to be faithful to what He's called us to be. It's a life of order. It's living how we were made to live in the obedience of Christ. Sin is chaos. Righteousness is order. So Paul says in Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of Christ 
rule in your hearts. Notice rule there. Not just sit there and make you feel all squishy. It's rule. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. It's a communal thing. More than one person were to do that together. Encourage one another to be at peace. And what should that lead to? He says, and be thankful. Rejoice. Be um, jubilant. Right? Any other comments or questions than jubilicious? <laughs> All right. I think about, it talks about the trumpet, you know, the jubilee trumpet shall sound for the 50th year. I think about the trump at the end of time. Mm. The trumpet will sound figuratively, probably, mm. I don't know, maybe physically. And it'll be loud. Kind of the ultimate jubilee. Right. You know, the ultimate wrapping up and living eternally with him. Right. So it's it's all it's all type and check. It is. And and we see this whole idea of looking back to Eden reset mm-hmm. and looking forward to consistent peace when Christ returns. Mm-hmm. And the announcement of that that passage in Luke four I think is a metaphorical trumpet that was said in some backwoods town in a synagogue with a carpenter reading it yeah. <laughs> in a, you know. Is this not Joseph's son? Exactly. And yet it's, it's a shot heard around the world. My peace I leave with you. So, the, so the, the challenge to us is to trust Him. And to do what He commands us to do so that we're in good standing with Him. Right. By trusting Him. All right. I'll I'll pray. God, forgive our fickle hearts. How many times we abandon what we know to be true because of the tyranny of the urgent. It's very easy to fall into slavery. It's not really a fall, it's a choice. Thank you that you have proclaimed jubilee to your people and that in Christ we have been set free. God, would you help us to live there? Would you help us to be who we are in Christ because of what you've done for us in Him? Would you then give us the heart to proclaim that, to live under the rule of His peace and be thankful. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.